You're listening to the Classic Gamers Guild Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Classic Gamers Guild Podcast. I am here today with Anna. How are you doing today, Hannah? I'm great. How are you doing, Rick? I'm doing okay, I suppose, all things considered. I am still sitting in the same seat that I sit in all day, every day, every single day of the week. So, um, yeah, I can't say I am any better or worse than my common existence during these times. You haven't moved since last week. No, no, I am. No. I am literally in the same spot. But yeah, so um, there was an interesting topic that came up recently in the guild uh, that I thought would be a pretty good uh, topic to talk about on the show. But then I decided not to this week and decided instead we're going to talk about Undiscovered Gems. So <laughs> we just kind of pulled an audible here and decided to go with something a little bit easier to talk about. Um, so Undiscovered Gems, as in games that we really like, that we think deserve more attention. I don't want to say underrated because that's not really – I think people misuse that term quite a bit. Um but undiscovered the sort of you know, the ones that people kind of overlooked or aren't really too aware of, or if they are aware of, they kind of passed it over. Um, they just games that haven't even been rated either over or underly. So why don't we get you to start with uh, one of your picks for a game that you think deserves more attention than it really ever got? Uh, undiscovered gem. Well, you know, so many of the games we've played are undiscovered gems by most of the population of this world. That is true. Uh, I, that was actually something I thought of mentioning. I just totally dropped the ball on it. But uh, you know, th there's undiscovered for us and there's undiscovered for people. I mean, like, uh, I remember before going on to the um, Facebook groups when I sort of thought like, oh, you know what really has not been discovered? Quest for Glory. I wish more people knew about that. <laughs> so if we were to bring up Quest for Glory as an undiscovered gem on the show, I'm pretty sure people would be a little bit upset. So They'd be um, like, I thought you were catering to us. Who the hell are you talking <laughs> to then? So, yeah, these are games that are undiscovered even by us. Well, uh, here's one that was undiscovered by me up until recently. Uh, I don't know about the rest of you, but Escape from Monkey Island on the PlayStation 2. Specifically the PS2 version? Yes. I mean, I'm sure most of us have heard of Escape from Monkey Island. I was going to so. say, yes. <laughs> but you are correct. <laughs> I was unaware that it came out on PS2. Yeah. It, uh, and I mean, it, it was kind of an unusual entry in the uh, LucasArts catalog. There was like eight other LucasArts games in there, and all of them were uh, Star Wars games. Uh, so th this was kind of a unique entry into what, in my mind, became uh, ports onto systems like the Switch. This was kind of the beginning of discovering that adventure games could work fairly well on uh, platforms, because it actually got pretty good reviews. Uh, among PlayStation players. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Um, now, how does this one control? Because I, I really don't know beyond um, um, the Scum games. Uh, mm -hmm. In fact, I think I probably even fall well short of that. I, I've played the first Monkey Island. I am aware of the Chuck's Revenge, and I just kind of 
drop off the cliff from that point on. So is this, is it like, uh, like which game in the series is this to begin with? Cause I, I know I'm losing a lot of credibility even just by asking that, but um, that's okay. I'm, I answer wrong all the time, but from my recollection of it, I think it's, it's the third one. I think it came out around the year uh, 2000 and it was ported over around uh, 2001. So it's very cartoon like, and there's cool Island and, and, uh, ocean scenes it was it was really pr pretty uh, i think they used puzzles as uh, the selling point but as far as controls go yeah you could you could use the l1 and l2 do your inventory or skip dialogue you had to cycle objects up and down you could you know talk look uh push things pull things i mean being that it was a point and click game of course and not a typing one at least uh, that aspect worked out well on the system mm-hmm I wait. I think it might actually be the fourth Monkey Island because I Is it? just looked it up and I think Thank Curse you, came Internet. first. Good. Or okay. well, not first, first, but before. Curse. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So there you go. It's the fourth Monkey Island, but uh, still, yeah, a, a fun port. So is it different from the PC version, other than just the uh, you know adapting to a controller? I don't think so. I don't think they did much with it other than uh, adapting it to work with the controller. Okay. Yeah, they didn't have to like shrink it to size to pop it on a cartridge or anything either. Of course, because it still True. ran off of CD. So maybe that's why they chose that game. It was uh, slightly easier to port than some of the other ones out there. Mm -hmm. And did it uh, did it run pretty well? I I know that there are a few games which, uh, granted, aren't. Uh, point-and-click adventure games, but I do remember some PC ports onto the PS2, specifically Deus Ex and Half-Life, which were really not very good experiences on a PlayStation because of the yeah. loading times and such. It's true. Yeah, this one does have uh, longer loading times. You'd probably do better to pop it into a backwards-compatible PS3 or or get something that's a bit more souped up. Right. But uh, I don't know. I'm pretty patient. It does work in the regular PS2. I mean, it's not unplayable. Okay, that's fair enough. Mm -hmm. um, so he, I'm going to give like a little bit of a spoilers for my list because I was kind of thinking about it and um, they're all on Game Boy Advance. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know what it is, but Game Boy Advance seemed to have um, good games that kind of... Uh, um, like you were talking about in passing, you mentioned how, you know, when you um, when you take a bigger game and kind of scale it down to a more limited uh, platform, it kind of, uh, you, know, you lose quite a bit. And therefore, if games are available on other platforms and there's a Game Boy Advance version, most people will kind of associate that as sort of like, oh, well, this is the cheap, stripped down, um, bad version of the same game. Funny enough, that was not always the case. In particular, I'm going to start with a game which like, wasn't even that great to begin with if you are comparing it to the console versions. So I'm going to start it with a game that was really not very good if you're only judging it by the console versions. And it's the uh, um, the TMNT game, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but in this case, the title is TMNT specifically to refer to the movie that came out around, I think it was like 2006 or 2007 ish. It was like the uh, CG animated movie. I don't know if you ever saw that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I did see that. Um, so 
Yeah. So I personally loved that movie. Like I loved it from the moment I saw it and I've, you know, loved it every time I watched it. I watched it a few times because it's, it's great. I think it's great, but a lot of people didn't like it. So, um, I think a lot of people already would not have been open to playing any game based on that source material because I don't know why people didn't like that movie, but they didn't. I don't, don't look at me. I can't explain. I honestly could not even try to explain what was wrong with that movie because I just love it. Everything about I it. I brought my kids with me to go watch it. So I had no reason to have anything against it. I'm like, please entertain me for the next like <laughs> few hours. Great. <laughs> the, the different perspectives between, uh, Having kids and not having kids. <laughs> so anyways, the as with any movie to video game adaptation, that usually doesn't work very well. And um, I believe TMNT on you know platforms like the GameCube particularly and a few others, they were kind of just, you know, the, your typical movie to game adaptation. I think they based it on the Prince of Persia engine. So it was like this third person platform kind of Parkerish, um, you know, run around, beat stuff up kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think my brother bought it because it was cheap and he just decided, oh, right, let's give this a shot. And yeah, it was as good as you really would expect it by um, on paper. <laughs> but then my buddy started telling me about how he heard that there was a GBA version of it that was totally not like the other versions and was actually getting some really good reviews. And he said that the only real criticism he heard about it was just that it's not multiplayer, which is kind of the fun of Ninja Turtles when you uh, <laughs> as a video game. So, you know, I found it cheap because I was working at EB Games at the time. And I, uh, I was like, well, yeah. I'll give it a shot. And I played it and it was actually really good. It was like, it was kind of a mix between the Ninja Turtles arcade um, with elements of River City Ransom. And it was just like completely different. And actually, yeah, I would say it's really good. And it was based on a movie that apparently not very many people liked, but I absolutely loved. So I was like, this is great. This is actually one of the better games that I've really played on the Game Boy Advance. So yeah, and uh, just like I said, it had everything going against it in terms of getting acknowledged. So I think a lot of people just sort of thought, well, here's what's likely to be a stripped down poor man's cheap version of a game that was adapted from a movie that I didn't even like. <laughs> I as in they, not me. Because like I said, love that movie. I'm going to drive that point home just so no one can possibly think I think otherwise. So you're the only one that Ad worked on. Relive the movie, play the game. You're like, <laughs> yes! <laughs> kind of. Uh, I mean, it wasn't entirely reliving the movie. I, I really wish it kind of did that a bit more. Just because I would love if like Raphael versus Leonardo was a boss fight. That'd be pretty amazing, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, no. As far as as far as just the game goes, yeah, it was good. A little bit light, a little bit short, but you know, it's a Game Boy Advance game. You don't get fit so much on that little cartridge. So uh, next, now I'm gonna say that this is a, a gem, and that maybe not everybody's heard of it, and then everybody's going to go, "Oh, come on now, everybody knows about this game," but that's fine. Uh, the Simpsons, Bart versus the Space Mutants. Oh which come is a on, second- everybody knows about that game. <laughs> I'm sure you've completed it at least twice, <laughs> right, Rick? No, no, that game is really hard, so I never got very far. No, it is. It's it's a super hard game, and. Uh, I think it was a super fun game for somebody that only had one game to play for a week because that's what she rented. Mm-hmm. 
but I mean, you know, otherwise it, it's kind of fun. You get to use weapons, you get to use x-ray specs, uh, you get to use spray paint and slingshots and, uh, every level has its own, uh, cool thing like the first level is you have to get rid of everything that's purple and then on the second one you're at the mall and you have to knock off people's hats and uh the uh next one i think you go to uh an amusement park and you're you're trying to shoot a slingshot at like balloons and uh it goes on from there you end up at the end you're at a power plant and you're just trying to collect power rods for a game that only has six or seven levels you're guaranteed at least 30 hours of fun and frustration mm. But actually, um, the one thing that I was kind of unaware of, did you say it was for the Genesis? Yeah, for the uh, Sega Genesis. That's the only system I've ever played it on. So I still have it, the game. See, that surprises me because I only ever knew that as a Nintendo game. I didn't even know it was a Nintendo game. Huh. I mean, yeah, there it is. It's uh, Nintendo Entertainment System and Sega Genesis, which are two completely different generations away from each other. But um, apparently... I, I'm kind of curious what it looks like on a Genesis for that reason. Yeah, I th I've always thought it was a very pretty game. I wonder if they crisped it up. But, you know, to me, yeah, the uh, the graphics are, uh, oh gosh, what's that word? The graphics are uh, reminiscent of the Simpsons arcade game. You know, the one where Marge yes. uses a vacuum cleaner and Bart uses a skateboard. skateboard. and Lisa yeah. used the skipping rope. Yeah, that's the one. And yeah. what did Bart use again? Or I mean, uh, what did Homer use? Uh, he just punched people. That's <laughs> as, as Homer does. Homer has always been known for his pugilism. <laughs> so yeah, I would I would compare the graphics to that. So very crisp. Yeah, very colorful, very bright, probably uh, a bit more than what they would have done with Nintendo. I wonder if I would have liked it as much if it was on the Nintendo when I played it then. Hmm. Um, possibly. I mean, you are very right. Uh in terms of my experience with The Simpsons kind of being, you know, especially Bart versus the Space Mutants, because I think this is the first time The Simpsons was really turned into a game, uh, at least to the knowledge of the mass majority of kids. Mm -hmm. And so it was like the the star of Blockbuster or Roger's video or whatever we had at that time. Crazy Mike's video is uh, where I rented mine oh, Video from. Stop, yes. Is, uh, <laughs> I think it was before... Possibly before Blockbuster Rogers, or at least it wasn't in our area. But yeah, so Crazy Mike's and um, <laughs> Video Stop. Uh, that probably this game probably paid the rent for a little while. But I don't know anyone who's actually owned it. It was just a big star rental. But uh, yeah, I look, didn't own it until I was a grown up, so that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So does that mean you'd like it enough that uh, you would actually give it a try if you could rent it from a video store now? Probably not. <laughs> It's not worth the rental fee. No, that's my six dollars. <laughs> um, actually, I don't know. I I probably would. I just uh, I was very stingy with money back then. Um, because I didn't have any. So, uh, and my parents hated video games and didn't really want us playing it ever. So they would never rent us video games. Oh, that that's too bad. My parents would before I had the systems. My parents would rent me the suitcase. Did did anybody else ever rent the suitcase? It would have like, for example, the Nintendo Entertainment System, the gun and the controllers, and then it had a space to tuck in your like two little rental games that you'd get. They'd clamp it shut and send you off to go home. I do distinctly remember the suitcase. Uh, I clearly was not a renter of the suitcase, and I forget. Who was, and I forget what system, but I do remember the suitcase. 
Sega and Nintendo and you needed a credit card, hence the parent aspect. So you kind of had to have sort of cool parents to pull that one off. Yes. Yeah. You definitely needed parents who supported playing video games, which I remind you were not my parents. (laughs) Not at all. Clearly for you. You know what, though? That's resilience. I mean, that that creates determination to play the game. You'd be like, yeah, I'm going to rebel. I'm not going to go out and do drugs and be crazy. I'm going to play more video games. So, yeah, I guess that was my next choice. Uh, the Simpsons, Bart versus the Space Mutants. Next time you see it, rent it, play it, and then give it back when you're done because it's so f***ing hard. Have, have you played it recently? Uh, yeah, I played it recently with the kids and... <sighs> You know, I have to say it still can take my attention for a while. I mean, I want to finish the level. You want to remember and which ledges to jump up on and, mm-hmm. and how to do stuff. It's it's still frustrating, but it's fun. Uh, okay, well, moving along then, I would say that the next one in the GBA series is Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance Game Boy Advance. Hmm. Now... It's Dark Alliance, not the original Baldur's Gate, so not like the uh, RPG um, on the PC. But a lot of people will know, will remember that Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance was in the uh, PS2, Xbox era. Mm-hmm. And it was a hack and slash, very, very Diablo-ish. Um, and it was great fun, especially for couch co-op and stuff like that. So this one, obviously, being GBA, uh, you don't get the couch co-op, but it's actually really good good for what it is like if you don't quite expect it does follow the story of dark alliance as it appears in the on the uh uh, bigger consoles but you know stripped down a little bit but the graphics are really impressive as far as i recall of the game boy advance era actually game boy advance actually was a pretty good looking era for games so it was it was right up it there. It fascinated me that system. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was it was a really interesting system. It, again, it was a system I bought and gave to my kids because they wanted it, right? So I kind of missed playing a lot of the games myself, but I'd watch them play, and I, I thought it looked cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very um, yeah. Those are those actually pretty good uh, era for games, um, to be honest. But the uh, but you know there there is a bit of a sacrifice because you know you're not going to play a PS2 game or an Xbox game on Game Boy Advance. Mm-hmm. So they did have to strip it down quite a bit. Um, but there's also, for that reason, they kind of had to adjust it a little bit. So it does feel a little bit different. Whereas like the first one was very hack and slash, you know, running around, just like cutting through swaths of enemies. This one, um, they couldn't fit that much onto the screen, especially for like uh, uh, moving characters and sprites. Uh, especially not compared to the consoles. So there were fewer enemies, but instead of just like running in and hacking and slashing, you kind of had to really take your time and kind of like uh, dodge and backtrack and just kind of like make slower attacks uh, because that's the limitation of the system. And it just felt this is not going to make very much sense unless you want it to. Uh, But this is the best way I can describe it. It's uh, uh, if it makes any sense, it felt like an action RPG more so than a hack and slash and uh you you might be confused and i don't blame you but that's really the closest i can come to describing it well i mean it says here that if you finish the game uh as either a fighter a wizard or an archer you can get a new class as an elven fighter so that's kind of cool have you done that i have not done that 
None of these games that I'm mentioning here are games that I finished. I'm going to get that out of the way. <laughs> actually, wait. I did finish the TMNT game. That's the only yeah. one on this list of games that I've actually finished. I did Although play it's a them all. Game. Yeah, it, it, it was totally shorter and not nearly as difficult as the other ones. Um, and this one, too. I mean, there's NPCs, right? You can talk to them in the Game Boy Advance version. Uh, you can, like, go in people's houses. There's, I mean, even though it doesn't have mm-hmm. the co-op mode, I... It looks like it's a pretty interesting port. The, the items that they've removed, they've put back other aspects that still makes it a, a pretty cool game. I didn't even know that they had Baldur's Gate ports back then. I, I didn't realize that they had it for other systems until recently. And they were fun. They're great. If you, you have clearly a PS2 and an Xbox and stuff like that, yeah. I think they are a little hard to find. I think they do kind of go go a little bit pricey these days. Uh, but if you do find one, like in a thrift store or something, absolutely pick it up. It's great, especially for playing with other people. If you play with your, uh, I don't know if your husband games very much, or definitely mm-hmm. a great one for your kids. Um, yeah, I think uh, Jacob has the Game Boy Advance version in his little oh. satchel of games. He's been collecting Game Boy Advance games for years. Uh, I'll check when this is over. And, wow, so, so I'm talking uh, about yeah. Undiscovered Gems, and I'm talking about it to the one person who's actually come across this game. Not to have played it myself, but we, we do have a lot of really random games in my house, just just from picking them up here and there over the years. I I was working at EB Games at the time, and I never saw it come in. I had to like go to eBay to track it down. Well, I'll go look, and you'll find out I'm full of bullshit, and it's a totally different game for a different system. So, <laughs> it was hey, TMNT. I'm, I'm, yeah. yeah, I can say whatever I want when I'm sitting here. If I have, I'll have all the games we've talked about, and I'm going to blow your mind, Rick. You just wait and see. I'm sure you have. Like these aren't. It's not like any of these games were like largely unavailable or particularly hard to find. Baldur's Gate is probably like the hardest one to find, and you have that one. So, <laughs> oh, three copies. What, what do I like? What do I even really know anymore? <laughs> Let's move on. What's your game that apparently no one knows about? Let's see how well you do at this, since oh. I suck so bad. God, I'm going <laughs> to suck with this one, because not only will everybody know about this game, but uh, nobody even likes it. No, I'm kidding. It's great. It's Starship Titanic. It's from 1998. You yourself have a copy of it, Rick, so... Yeah, somebody gave me a copy of that. I haven't actually played it, even though a very generous friend of mine... Um, managed to uh, procure me a copy that was uh, in mint condition and comes with like everything in it. Including a cassette tape. That's correct. How did you know? <laughs> it's it on, the only the good uh, copies have the cassette tape in them. So I assumed that must be what you have. Exactly. Yes. It's like you read my mind and the mind of the person that gave me this game. Well, I'm always analyzing, so. But you are correct that I have not had a chance to play it yet, even though it is fully available on GOG and possibly, I don't know if it's on Steam or not, but I mean, like, it's totally ready to be played at any time I want to. I just never get around to it, even though it's like everything that I really should. I'll let you explain this because I just, yeah, it, I'm just going to make myself <laughs> you look can tell really me all the things you don't know yet. about it. <laughs> <laughs> No, even just the things I do know about it already is like, why the hell have I not played this game? It's true. I mean, big one for me is the fact that it, it's got a parser and, and the parser even has a name. It's it's uh, Spooky Talk. The parser has a name? 
Yeah, the the whole system, and it's it's how you talk to these malfunctioning robots, mm-hmm. and it actually makes the whole AI technically. So I've heard smarter over the course of the game. Not that I've noticed that aspect, but <laughs> but the you have to be very specific. Like, okay, when I'm playing it, I almost imagine I have to be in Douglas Adams' mind to get it to truly understand what I want to to say to it and Mm -hmm. his mind is a wild and wonderful place that we lost much too early and I have no idea what the fuck he was thinking about so I didn't use (laughs) the text parser system to actually progress in the game as much as I used it as a a novelty which is kind of the same as I did with uh, Leisure Suit Larry 7 like is it there yes do I love 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 that it's there yes but do I use it much no I mean even for me just like right away uh, there are two big names attached to the game, one being Douglas Adams and the other being Terry Jones. So already it's a sort of like, why have I not played this? Exactly. And all of the characters are Douglas Adams originals and um, people that have played the game. Come on, there's got to be at least one of you out there would remember the parrot. And he's not the only fun parrot to talk to from video games. We also meet a fun parrot in Quest for Glory 5. But in this game, the parrot is voiced by Terry Jones, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. The um, Also, interestingly, since I can't in any way talk about the actual game, um, the game actually came first. I didn't realize this. Uh, but Douglas Adams made a game, mm-hmm. and then they decided to novelize it so Douglas Adams got Terry Jones to write it into a novel. It it's like it has the most fantastic name as a result. Douglas Adams Starship Titanic, a novel by Terry Jones. Which mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think that's a fantastic title. But you know, and he Douglas Adams is no stranger to doing things backwards because uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was, of course, a radio show first. And, and then they're like, oh, man, this stuff is great. You you got to write a book. And he's like, oh, I'll write a book. But And he was always a bit of a slagger, right? He's like, oh, man, I don't really want to. And they're like, deadlines, deadlines. And he's like, <laughs> screw you, deadlines. And, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm think we're, we're lucky to get what we got out of him. And it's the same. And I think that's why people kind of also lag on Starship Titanic is although he was involved, he kind of gave up partway through and, and somebody else ended up doing, a, I, I don't remember the name, but ended up doing a bunch of the work to finish the game. And although the characters are his and the ideas are his, uh, he wasn't as involved as he was potentially outlined to be. So it turns out that I am the worst Douglas Adams fan in the entire history of the world, uh, in the in the history of life, the universe, and everything, um, because and you're not even forty two yet. Oh. No, because not only did I not play a game that was entirely created by Douglas Adams, but you just are now the one who informed me that the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was not originally a novel, but the radio show came first. Yeah, and then uh, the TV show, well, I mean, the the made-for-TV shows, the BBC version, uh, came after that, which I think is absolutely lovely. And Douglas Adams was also involved in the remake of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that they made a bunch of changes on as well. So any changes you see in the remake, you kind of have to be okay with because they were his originally, you know? Anything else on the game? Well, I mean, the the whole thing, you're, you start the game off and uh, you have to repair the ship. It crashes <laughs> into your place and you ha- you get brought onto it by the robot. You have to help them repair it. That's that's the st- storyline, so to speak. 
I am going to have to insist that you stream this game one of these days on our Twitch channel. Yeah, I could do that. Perfect. Look forward to watching me stream with a custom background Starship Titanic on Twitch. Maybe. <laughs> Put me on the spot, will ya? <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So moving right along here, the final of my Game Boy Advance games. <laughs> I just, for some reason, when I was sitting down to think about these games that are undiscovered, they just everything one after another was Game Boy Advance. I was just, I was stuck in Game Boy Advance mode today. Classic Game Boy Advance guild. Yes. Yes. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, Prince of Persia, Sands of Time was released mm -hmm. to Game Boy Advance. Yeah. You, know, you got the same mechanics. It's, you know, all parkoury running around, hack, uh, killing enemies. And you got the Sands of Time that rewind and stuff like that. But, it's not 3D. It is done very similarly in the style of the original Prince of Persia and Prince of Persia 2 Shadow and the Flame. It's like a, a spiritual successor to those Prince of Persia games more so than um, uh, being the start of its own trilogy. Like, uh, I mean, obviously it's not entirely connected to those games. That's why I say spiritual, but they play like the original Prince of Persia games. It is awesome. Like, I love it. It's really hard and I never finish it because it's really hard. But what I played was awesome because it's, it's, it's a mishmash. It's like if you played, it really is exactly. I can't explain it any better than it's if you played Sands of Time by way of the 2D platformers. That's all I have to say. That's all it is. I love the original Prince of Persia, and that's that's about the only one that I've really played. Uh, out of the out of any of them. Well, we have that. What is that one that came out in the late nineties? It's like a three D Prince of Persia. I have that one on CD. I Prince think of I, Persia I spent 3D? a bit of time with that. Yeah, that probably is that a thing. <laughs> I, I, yeah, that's literally. It's called Prince of Persia three D, I believe. Yeah, that that yeah. could that could be it. Yeah, <laughs> it was just like a random Prince of Persia. It had those kind of late nineties style graphics going on with it. It's kind of. Uh, Three-dimensional, but polygonal at the same time. It came out on 1999. Yeah, that sounds exactly right. Because I got my first home computer, which was a, a Pentium uh, 1... Th no, it was a... I think it was a 133 when I first got my uh, home computer in 1999. I, I paid some crazy, ridiculous amount from some mail-order place. To get it. And I was so excited. I brought it home and hooked it up to the dial-up internet that came from a, an area near there and hooked it up, had the internet going and was like, wow, this is great. We can look up anything in the whole wide world and <laughs> play any game that's made up until like three years ago. Yeah. This is definitely that um, late nine or just the 90s in general of 3D where it's just kind of that <laughs> that awkward stages of trying to figure it out you and use quotation marks with the 3d right <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like they have like maybe 20 polygons per character mm -hmm. it's all the stuff that we're remaking now because we know how to make it look better mm -hmm. um but yeah so anyways that's I, I really can't explain any more than that. It's a, you know, Prince of Persia for Game Boy Advance. Uh, I loved it because I was really, I yeah, I, I know that the 3D games are awesome. Like the, you know, Sands of Time trilogy are awesome. But I've always been such a huge fan of the original uh, two. 
So I was kind of a little bit sad because at the time I was on this whole thing where I always, always prefer 2D versus 3D, no matter what. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I Mm -hmm. have changed that opinion since, but at the time. (laughs) Um, And so when I found out it was actually a 2D platformer, it was, it's, it was the best thing ever. I just, I really wish that I was better at gaming so I could have finished it. Well, it's, it's a nice platform for that, right? You've got some action adventure, you've got some puzzles. It's a platformer. I mean, that's fun. Mm-hmm. And, can and you, I think you can, can you freeze time? I think you can freeze time or something in that game too. In uh sense of time. Yeah. Uh, right? you can, Isn't that one of its things? You can rewind time. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's I don't remember cool. if you can actually freeze it, but you can definitely mm-hmm. rewind it. And, yeah, it um, looks like a pretty cool game. Uh, I think uh, if I don't already own it, uh, I might uh, want to keep an eye out for it. Well, uh, I wanted to save my best for last, but the my best as far as my choices go might not be something that anybody will enjoy now. But imagine that it's 1980 something and i'm telling you the uh, the best undiscovered gems to play so you're probably a kid at the time right i mean maybe between the ages of seven and eleven um okay. during the 80s yeah I, late I, 80s or yep I, I was born in 1979 so the 80s were like me through 10 years old perfect that works i was born in 78 so so we're pretty close so so my next pick is a game that came out in 1986 and perfectly matched the tone of the day and age and that's donald duck's playground mm. da, 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 da. did you ever play that one rick i have absolutely not <laughs> well i'm I pretty mean... sure i have never played a single game that has involved donald duck Except, I think, for a Kingdom Hearts game that was on Game Boy Advance. Back uh, to the Game Boy Advance. I haven't played that one, although it's been highly recommended to me. I did not like it in the slightest, so let's oh, move good. on. <laughs> let's move on then. Well, okay. <laughs> well, this game has a claim to fame. I mean, as we know, Sierra did do some work with Disney. There was you know, Winnie the Pooh and the Hundred Acre Wood was another one. And, and I think they did a Black Cauldron one as well. But Donald Duck's Playground, its music was done by somebody we all know and love. And that's Al Lowe. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. So I was an Al Lowe fan long before uh, Leisure Suit Larry. Uh, I was just getting prepped. Yeah. It was a fun game, and I had it on an amber monochrome computer, which was fun because you got to sort toys by size, shape, and color. Mm, awesome. As I always do with all of my toys <laughs> at, at the age of six or seven. Well, you know what? It's a money game. So the point is you're you're catching produce, you're sorting packages, you get to control switches in a train station, which was good prep for games like Railroad Tycoon, and uh, which is another kind of, it's not an underrated game at all, but it was a hard, fun game. But anyways, and then you take all your money that you earn and you go to these stores. So there's like the junk store and the hardware store, and you want to buy your stuff because... Yes, you have a playground you want to beef up. So you're going to buy like a slide or a tire swing or, you know, some nice scenery. And then when you buy stuff, the cashiers are super lazy. They actually had self-checkouts running. So you had to, you know, scan your items in and make your own change when you're doing the purchase. So, I mean, you're kind of learning all concepts of hard blue collar work in this game. Okay, cool. Are you convinced yet? 
Sure. You you had me at Al Low, basically. <laughs> and I actually don't know. I don't know what this game would sound like if I had anything fancier. Did games back in 1986 have anything other than an internal speaker for sound? Could you get fancy sound back then? I don't know. But I am inclined to say no, but I am absolutely not the one to ask for a definitive mm-hmm. answer. I only had I had the monochrome screen, I had the PC speaker, and somehow these games were entirely captivating, and and the sound mm. still bring me back. I, I did oh, play yeah. the game in color just to show my kids what it was like, and it proves that a game like this does still hold interest because all three of my boys, and that's varying, as I said, over the last two decades, have played this game and and put at least a few hours into it, which is which is not bad. Mm-hmm. Well, I, uh, just like you, grew up with the monochrome and the PC speaker. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I actually continued with the PC speaker well into my 486. I think it wasn't until I had a Pentium that I finally uh, had a job and bought a sound card for it. Uh, I think I might have, there might have even been a little bit of an overlap with the Pentium in which I didn't have a sound card. But um, to. It, uh, to possibly address your question in regards to whether or not uh, anything other than PC speaker even existed back in those times, um, the real only clue, and maybe it's a big clue that I have to contribute to that conversation, is that um, I do have Police Quest 1 um, off of GOG, and I, as usual, I always play the EGA version. And when you do that, the soundtrack... And this, you know, all the sounds in it are clearly emulating the PC speaker. So mm-hmm. um, I'm guessing that at the very least, that game didn't have anything more than PC speaker sound effects and music. So I'm going to guess probably anything before that didn't. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I, I, I also only had an internal PC speaker when I moved out with my 486 that my parents let me take it. That's all that it had in it. So it wasn't until, like I said, I got my Pentium that uh, I ended up getting better sound. Mm-hmm. Much the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, that was my top choice. You know, it's a kid's game, but it's fun. It teaches you all aspects of industry. The music is by Al Lowe. I don't know how I can make this game any cooler, except for the fact that it is really, really hard to find if you want to play it. Right. I happen to have my own copy in a big box. Thanks, uh, Roberta. But perhaps not everybody has that. I'm going to guess it's a very low likelihood that people will just be like, oh, yes, my... Actually, well, I don't know. It depends who's listening to this. I know a few people in a certain group who are just sort of like, well, yeah, doesn't everyone have a Donald Duck from the PC from 1986? Yeah. How many versions of it do you own? <laughs> How many languages? Yeah. Yeah. You only Whatever. have one. <laughs> uh, um, you know what I think is a pretty reasonably decent undiscovered gem? What? This podcast so, to the listeners, if you would like to do us a favor and rate the show and uh, forward it to your friends, and if you like us and possibly support us on Patreon, uh, you can find us there. Just search for Classic Gamers Guild, obviously. We are also on Facebook. We have a page and we have a group. You can find us there as well. And we're on Twitter at the CG Guild. We are, yeah, I'm not even going to, I don't even know why I bother mentioning our instagram at this point but you can technically find us there 
at CGG Podcast. And if you would like to um, let us know what you think of the show, how much you hate my face, even though you can't see it, but I'm pretty sure you can picture it and you want to punch it. Um, we have an email address, mail at classicgamersguild.com. Uh, through any of these venues, you can let us know what you think are some great undiscovered gems or maybe some of our undiscovered gems were not really all that undiscovered and we are idiots for mentioning them and wasting your time. I hope we did not waste your time. And uh, please shut me up by ending this episode. <laughs> Go out there and find your own undiscovered gems and then tell us all about it. That. That.